intrigued and really comforted by the prayers uh, that were shared on Sunday morning. Uh, comforted somewhat by the words that they said, but also because I knew the words and the phrases that would be shared. It was not uncommon to hear the phrase, God, guard, and direct us. Or give us a hedge of protection. Or my favorite, give the preacher a ready recollection of what he's prepared. I, I just, I love those, those comforting words. And, and as Christians, we have a lot of these, what I'll call us cliches. And some of them are a little bit humorous. They're comforting, but they also can be very dangerous. Because they might imply something that theologically is not entirely sound. But this is one I heard growing up, that cleanliness is what? It's next to God. That's what mom always said when she walked into your room. Cleanliness is next to godliness, which basically meant, Doug, you are a pagan heathen. Clean up your mess. Like, this is not what God would want for you. And I love this one. It just sounds so good. Lord willing and the creek don't rise. I'll be there. And I love this. I love the idea of, of like kind of putting it back on God. Like I'll be there unless God doesn't want me to be there. Now I'm going to share something. I'm going to confess, Brad, you know where we're going with this. Last week we had the clothing room. I'm in there and I've been, I've been trying not to consume as much sugar as I normally do because that's just like part of who I am is just eat as much sugar as possible. So we're in there and there's some donuts and I look into the box and there it is. The apple fritter. I mean, like the perfect. And I don't know why, because I don't like cooked fruit, but apple fritter is like the best. And so I look over at that, and Brad's right there. And he's like, are you going to eat that? And I said, you know what? I said, if we get done with all of this, and everybody goes through the donut, and that's still left, I jokingly said, then the Lord must want me to eat that donut. Like, And all of a sudden, like, Brad pounced on that i mean like like an older brother he came oh really because god really he's he's really concerned about whether or not you're going to get that apple fritter in a few minutes i'm like actually now that you say that like I, it's a little shaky now maybe I, I can't take it back but but here's the deal if god wants me to have the apple fritter i'm gonna eat it and you know what god is good and <laughs> And somebody ate that apple fritter, and I didn't have to feel guilty all day for eating it when I shouldn't have. But there are other phrases, cliches that we come up with. And this is the most cringy, and I just can't, excuse me, stand this. And if you say this, I'm not trying to be mean and hurtful to you, but I'm just begging you, don't say this anymore. If you're at a funeral home, if you're comforting someone who's lost a loved one, please do not say, God took your child away because he wanted another flower in his garden. Like, that's just... That it, there's something just wrong about that idea that God is plucking up our family members because he wants to have them in his garden more than we would have them in our lives. But then there's these next four I want you to listen to because they all have kind of the same theme. God won't give you anything that you can't handle. Or if God closes a door, he'll open a window. Or the one, no God, K-N-O-W, no peace. Or N-O, no God, no peace. And then this last one, God answers prayers. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't answer his prayers, but, but the premise behind that and, and the, the previous ones before that is God is going to fix everything. 
That if you know God, you will know peace. Well, yes, there can be this inner peace, but how many people know God and who are in a battle and a war for their very souls and they're struggling? And sometimes we just want to believe that if, if we believe in God, everything will be perfect, that he's going to close that door, but he's going to open a window. But the fact is that sometimes life just doesn't turn out that way. God doesn't always make everything better. He's not in the business of fixing problems, easing days, thwarting evil, and making your life better. God does not exist to make your life easier. In fact, Jesus promises the opposite. Jesus says, if you follow me, it will be hard. And yet for some reason, just over the last couple of centuries, Christianity has adopted this idea of following Jesus makes everything better. But God doesn't always make everything better. And I know this is probably something you've third, uh, thought of. I know it's probably something you've heard before. But as I was going through this and, and I said this out loud, it just kind of hit me right between the eyes and it just seemed just pretty profound even though we've known it our whole lives god doesn't stop evil i said it i mean it and i believe it don't misunderstand me i'm not saying that god can't stop evil and I'm not saying that there aren't times that he does stop evil. But I'm saying as a general rule, if you believe that God is the stopper of evil, you are blind, naive, and you're just flat wrong. God does not stop evil. Would you care to look at some names and numbers? I'm not talking about the phone book that they used to call the names and numbers, right? But if we were to like make a book of all the evil in the world, we don't have enough room to put all the books that would be filled with all the evil things that take place. Hitler attempted to exterminate an entire race of people who, by the way, were originally God's chosen people. Now, he failed in that attempt, but he still brutally exterminated six million Jews. To say nothing of the fact that, that it was his craziness and his narcissism that started a war that took the lives of over 50 million people in the Second World War. Mao Zedong, in his great leap, great leap forward, led to starving and the execution of 55 million Chinese people during his reign. Pol Pot was a communist in Cambodia that sent the population to the fields and the intellectuals to the gallows. He believed that if, if you were too smart, you were a threat and he would have you killed. One of the ways that he felt that you were too smart is that if you wore glasses, 
If you are caught wearing glasses in Cambodia during Pol Pot's reign, then you are executed. In four years, 25% of the population of Cambodia died. We could also include other names like Joseph Stalin, Kim Sung, Saddam Hussein, Yosef Mengele, and Vladimir Putin. Not enough? Every day, humans shoot and are shot. They stab and are stabbed. They rape and are raped. They abuse and are abused. They neglect and they're neglected. They discard and they're discarded. They starve and they're starved. They abort and they're aborted. If you think God is supposed to stop evil, then either you're flat wrong or he is a miserable failure because evil exists in this world and it has almost from the very beginning and the passage i want to look at this morning just underscores that fact that evil exists in the same world that God exists in. So let's go to Luke chapter 23. This is going to be a, a passage that, that Jesus is going to be as he finds himself before several powerful leaders. You would expect and hope that these leaders will do what it's right, that they'll be honest, but the fact is is that, that they aren't and they won't, and that continues on throughout history. But Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 1, says, Then the whole assembly rose and led him off, Jesus, to Pilate. As they began to accuse... Now, I want to stop for just a second here. Because maybe some of you are still on the fence about this whole idea of whether or not evil exists or not. And, and whether or not God stops evil. So here's what we're going to do. I, I think that there is some evil things that are taking place in Luke chapter 23. But some of you may say, no, God fixes that. He stops that. He doesn't allow evil. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to read. And if you think that there's a point in the text where God stops evil, will you just stop me? Just raise your hand, holler, say, wait, wait, no, no, no. Look, clearly, here's a point where God stops evil. Otherwise, if, if evil exists and he's allowing it, just, just continue reading. M maybe we'll all be surprised. Who knows? The, the whole assembly rose and led Jesus off to Pilate. That's, that's clearly evil. And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Messiah, a king. There's some false accusations. There's some lying. Did God stop any of that? Okay, okay, I'll keep going then. Okay. So Pilate asked Jesus, Are you king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests in the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But they insisted. He stirs up all the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. 
When Herod saw this, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. He plied with him many questions, but Jesus gave no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. Pilate called together the chief priests, rulers, and the people, and he said to them, You brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I've examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. And neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him, then I will release him. I mean, the evil that abounds, I mean, we have have Pilate, we have Herod. But the evil is almost going to be magnified right now by just, just normal people. They just, they, they lose their mind. The whole crowd shouted, away with this man, release Barabbas to us. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them, but they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. God, the thwarter of evil, the defender of good, the one who takes all wrong things and makes them right. While Jesus, his very son, is in front of an angry, seething, foaming-at-the-mouth mob who all they can say is, crucify him, God does nothing. He doesn't stop the evil. For the third time he spoke to them, Why, what crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified. And their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and they surrendered Jesus to their will. Now, I've always been fascinated by the whole Barabbas storyline and the fact that we just don't get the rest of the story. I want to know the rest of the story. Why didn't didn't somebody have an exit interview at the prison? I mean, who, who could have a more profound story about who Jesus was? Then this man, he ended up in jail for killing someone. And he ends up getting out of jail because someone chose to die for him. I just wonder about that story. But, but really, the main point here is that 
Pilate is evil. Herod is evil. The people shouting are evil. The chief priests are evil. And just when you think that that God is going to step in and say, okay, that's enough. It's going to be the, the big change. It doesn't happen. And it looks like that evil is going to win. And it looks like that God has done nothing to stop it. And nobody knows. Nobody knows that God is working. They can't think or imagine that the evil that's taking place can somehow turn out to be anything good. Was this evil? Yes. Were the people evil? Yes. Was God caught off guard by this? No. And was he able to do amazing things when people could not possibly imagine that good could come from it? Absolutely. Luke doesn't specifically address this, but I love Matthew 27, 25. For those of you who join us for the verse of the week on Mondays, this last one came from Matthew 27. And when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, he took water and he washed his hands in front of the crowd. And he says, I am innocent of this man's blood. He says, I'm not going to be responsible for this. If there is a punishment for his death, if there is a curse for his death, it's not on me, it's on you. And then the most profound, ironic statement that could ever be made as Jesus was there. And Pilate says, I don't want to have anything to do with it. I'm washing my hands of it. The people call down a curse on themselves. Do you remember what they said? Let his blood be on us and our children. They are so angry. They are so vengeful. They're so thirsty for blood, for Jesus to die, to watch this man hang, that they say, we want the curse, we'll let our kids take the curse, whatever repercussions there are of this, we'll take it, we just want him dead. And I like to call that the big curse that couldn't. Because they just knew that the blood of Jesus was something that they would take because they knew the curse was associated with it. And what they had no idea is that God said, yes, his blood will be on you. And it will be on your children. But what you think is a curse will be a blessing. Because as much as you want to murder this man, I want to sacrifice my son even more. And I'm not going to step in and stop the evil. 
because I'm going to use it for good. You know, there's, it, it doesn't go unnoticed. There is a lot of, of pain and suffering and sorrow in this room. And I think a lot of us think, God, you, you got to stop this. And we want him to. We desperately desire him to. And it's somewhat offensive when someone would stand up in front of you with all the pain that you're going through and would say, you know what, God doesn't have to stop it. He doesn't need to stop it. And he probably won't stop it. And that's infuriating. And for a lot of people, it causes them to question their own faith. Can God be good when my life isn't? Can God exist in the same world as the Stalins, the Hitlers, and the Mengelas? When we pick up the newspaper and we read about the tragedies, the senseless violence, with all the evil going on, if we put it on God to stop the evil, then we've pegged him all wrong. And ultimately, if you think God has to stop the evil, then he's a really bad God. You see, Luke 23 shows us that God doesn't always stop it. And for those of you who are stuck in the middle of pain and loss, and you're left with questions, God doesn't always give an answer to those. And so we are left wondering. But God is faithful. In the midst of your turmoil, God is present. In your loss, in your longings, in your despair, we have a God who's still here. What I want us to be is a people who can accept the fact that life is terrible and that God is good. And those two truths can exist at the same time. But if we're stuck believing that bad, can't things, bad things can't happen if a good God exists, then we might as well just pack up our bags and walk out of here. Because there's no reason to worship. Because there's no God that would really exist. But I want you to know that in your pain, when people are accusing, when the crowd is shouting, God is still good and He can do things that we can't think or imagine and work in ways that we could never believe. As I love to say, it will all work out in the end. 
And if it's not working out, it's not the end. We serve a God. We serve a God in really, really tough times. We serve in a time of hate because we need to remind people that there is a God of love and that we have a call to reach out to them. For you this morning that are struggling, that you feel like you're in a difficult time in your life, I just want you to find comfort in knowing that God still loves us in an evil world, in a terrible time when things are going wrong, when marriages are falling apart, when families are splitting up, when jobs are being lost, when the economy is going down, whatever it is that you can imagine that makes your life terrible, just remember that God is still good regardless of our lives, and He is worthy of our praise. And so this morning, as we stand and sing, I want you to be able to praise and worship a God who's worthy. Tim.